Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes and soothing decibels. This is episode 39, and I'm having an excellent rain-soaked July 10th, and I guess it's technically July 11th, because it's 1.03 a.m. in 15, 16, 17, 18 seconds, and I'm having a superb day, and I can tell why because of one action that happened to me about a couple hours ago. And this is gonna make me sound weird, and this is gonna make me sound crazy, but what else is new? So a little backstory on this. So follow me, like take my hand, we're gonna go down Story Road. So there's this TV show, cartoon show called Adventure Time. And there's these two friends on it, Finn the Human and Jake the Dog. And Jake can grow to like big sizes. So he just bulks up to, you know, 50, 100 feet tall. And while him and Finn are having a battle, they're arguing about something, kind of like bro friends do. And Jake's really big, and Finn's kind of like like a gnat or a mosquito, kind of bouncing around and kind of like picking his spots. And Finn ends up on Jake's naked butt for a second. And Jake kind of, you know, slaps him away, like, get out of here. And Finn kind of makes his way to the shoulder. And rather than Jake kind of slap at the shoulder, he goes back to the butt where he knows Jake, where he knows Finn isn't, and he gives it an extra, like, two slaps, like a double windmill slap, like a... And uh, it just makes me laugh every time. I don't know why, because he just wants to slap his butt twice more because it feels good. And it makes me laugh because I'm seven, emotionally, physically. Not physically. I'd be a really big seven-year-old. Six foot five, that'd be, that'd be a little much. I think the other parents in uh, Little League would call shenanigans on that. But uh, so how does this apply to my day? Because when I'm in the shower, if I'm having a good day, I'll just randomly do that double windmill slap on my hiney. And like Jake, and I'll just start laughing for like 25 to 30 seconds because it's funny. And I'm telling you, I know it sounds crazy, but next time you're in the shower, try it. Because the amplification from the confined space and the heavy water to butt ratio, you get this nice echo effect. Feels cartoonish. It feels like you're doing kind of like a soundboard. Like you know how there's like they put sound in on po- in post in the movies, like sounds of like horse hooves clip clopping and stuff. You feel like you're doing that. But uh, it wasn't a perfect day, though, because I had to throw out some bad clementines because I bought like 12 of them and they were too hard. And this was like five, six days ago and they haven't gotten any softer. Does anyone know, do clementines get softer over time? Like, are they supposed to? Is, is this kind of like a banana ripening up? I didn't look it up, but two or three times I tried eating the clementines and they were just kind of hard and the acidity was really too sour. It just wasn't a good experience. So I couldn't take it anymore, like being like randomly being disappointed because I would just mindlessly open a clementine and then try it. I'm like, oh, this is terrible again. So I threw them all out. (laughs) And uh, I don't know, does that mean I'm not a patient person? Or does that mean that, uh, I mean, it's kind of stupid. I should have looked it up. But RIP clementines and you will be missed. I'll pick some more up on Monday. I'll make sure to squeeze them and get a good I'm not sure what the good squeeze ratio on a clementine is. I've kind of just randomly picked them because they're genetically altered fruit um, under the impression. So it's like when you're genetically altered, you should be good all the time. Like a good Honeycrisp apple, I don't really need to pick it. You're going to be juicy and fruity and sour. You're going to get the job done pretty much. So science, you failed me and I'm very disappointed and I'm sad I have no fruit in my house right now. I ate all my kiwis. I ate all my bananas. All my Honeycrisp are gone, and now I got no clementines. So if you can know any other good fruits that I can get, but not blueberries, raspberries, which I love, but too expensive. I don't know, just something, I, can't, I don't want to pay five, six bucks for something I'm going to just pop in my mouth as a snack. 
like bananas. I don't know why they're still 49, 59 cents a pound. It blows my mind, but uh, I love a good, you know, you just slap down a couple of pounds of bananas, you know, 15, 18 of them. It's like two, three bucks. It's great. So after a food, after a fruit rant, there's really no great way to get into this topic. So let's just dive in without a bad, without a good segue. Uh, I want to talk about 2013 specific rim. It's uh, Guillermo del Toro's giant robots versus space lizards extravaganza. Uh, This movie costs a whopping $215 million and it got cut down from an original budget of $265 million. And that's all on the screen too. I mean, like the way that they produce these robots and the way they make the fights happen. I mean, this movie looks like it was, it cost $800 million and it made $411 million worldwide. 310 of, 310 of which was from its Asian sales because this is based on an Asian comic book and has more popularity over there. So it did all like okay here. It would have been a flop if it didn't, if it was just an American release. And I don't know why I wanted to talk about this movie. I kind of, I just wanted to talk about a monster movie. And this is the best one in the last 20 years. And every fight is epic. You feel five years old again. These robots are 76 meters tall or 250 feet tall in American, as we like to say. And uh, it just reminds you of Voltron. You got your Power Rangers, like playing in the backyard with two clunky action figures when you're, you know, you're just creating your own operatic, you know, epic battles between like a Wolfman and a Transformer. And it's cool that Guillermo del Toro kind of took that five-year-old imagination and took hundreds of millions of dollars and made a gigantic, awesome movie. And the best part about this is the scale of the movie because movies like Transformers, they have these giant robots, but it's all close camera shots and quick cuts. And it's hard to tell who's who or what's happening in this movie. The scale is just fantastic. I mean, it's the robots from like far away in the middle of the Pacific ocean fighting these uh, aliens of, you know, similar size and scale. And you feel the kind of, giganticness of the situation i mean these the lizards are just snarling and they're slimy and they're weird freakazoids with like they kind of have dinosaur kind of abilities and look with combined like genetically spliced with alien stuff like some of them glow blue and have like six tongues and you know weird uh club-like tails and stuff and before i fan gush about this uh, movie and all the monsters and robots. Cause I could do that for an hour. I could just talk about like, remember that monster? That was cool. Remember that robots power rocket arm? Yeah, that's awesome. So let's talk about the movie itself. Let's get a plot summary. Now bear with me. This movie is way plot heavy and a little bit confusing, but I mean, the general gist is aliens are coming. They have these giant monsters and our last offense was these robots and they're just fighting each other. That's all you really need to know, but I'll give you the, the overall synopsis so you have a real feel for it. So here we go. So the year is 2030. When monstrous, when monstrous creatures known as kaiju start rising from the sea, a war begins that would take millions of lives and consume humanity's resources for years on end. To combat the giant kaiju, a special type of weapon was devised, massive robots called Jaegers, which are controlled simultaneously by two pilots whose minds are in lock in a neural bridge, also called the Drift. But even the Jaegers are proving nearly defenseless in the face of the relentless kaijus. On the verge of defeat, the forces of defending mankind have no choice but to turn to two unlikely heroes, a washed-up former pilot, Riley Beckett, and an untested trainee, Mako, 
who are teamed up to drive a legendary but seemingly obsolete Jaeger from the past. Together, they stand as mankind's last hope against the mounting apocalypse. So, I mean, yeah, crazy, crazy story. And there's lots of weird subplots, too, we'll get into, too. But uh, first off, I mean, the coolest names ever. I mean, a Jaeger is German for hunter. Didn't know that. I didn't know Jaegermeister was, you know, uh, Huntermaster, I guess would be the term. I don't know. But word to the wise, I've bartended for 13, 14 years. Do not drink Jaeger if you want to remember tomorrow or have like a great experience. Because Jaeger will lead to lost wallets, you know what I mean, like crying. You'll eat a whole pizza and puke it up. I mean, just don't do not do Jaeger because it's just sugar. And I think there's deer's blood in there. And like, I don't know, Satan cursed it. It's just, it's terrible stuff. And it, I mean, look at the color and the smell. It smells like black licorice. Who likes black licorice? It's the worst of all the candies. And you're drinking a liquor that's like that. And you're adding sugar and like Red Bull and caffeine to that. It's just not a good call. And plus, it's not very adult. Grow up if you're drinking Jaeger. If you're above 22 and drinking Jaeger, you have psychological issues and need to go see a therapist about having age-related alcoholic beverages that coordinate with your age. Although I am the same guy who slaps his own butt and laughs in the shower because it's based on a cartoon I like. So what the hell do I know? And then you got Kaiju, uh, which is the Japanese name for monster. Fun to say, Kaiju. I think I like it too because it's got Jew at the end. So I just think of myself as a 300 foot acid spitting monster that can fly. So that's what, that's what I dream about. So this movie is based on uh, Japanese comic books and it seemed refreshing. It just seemed like a new idea, an entire genre. And to have Guillermo del Toro, God, that name's hard to say. Guillermo del Toro. I'm going to call him GDT. To have GDT take a stab at this was such a delight. I mean, he's made a bunch of excellent movies. Not Shape of Water. Screw Shape of Water. That is weird fish sex <laughs> in a Disney movie. And I don't like it. And you shouldn't like it. And it shouldn't have won an Oscar. And just no. Just a lot, just a lot of no. But although it did have Michael Shannon act evil. And I, I like all movies where Michael Shannon acts evil. He's just that crazy, wide-eyed. He was a weird FBI agent from Boardwalk Empire. And he was uh, the bad guy in super in the new in the Zack Snyder Snooper Superman. I think Zork or Zork or something like that. Zork, Hail Zork. No, I'm close, but no cigar. But he was in that movie, and you know, having him with crazy eyes is fun. But GDT's best movies were Hellboy, which is just a freakish fun movie about a giant bright red Ron Perlman, who's a half demon, half cop who takes on like the necromancy underworld. And then his best movie, Blade 2, is just so freaking weird and scary. It's about genetically altered super vampires that are killing normal vampires. So Blade has to team up with the vampires that he's hunting and vice versa to stop this uh, threat that's hurting them both. And it's just, it's got Ron Perlman and again, and he's bald and he has a silver nitrate bomb attached to his head and Blade's cracking jokes. And it's really, really gory and weird. And I normally don't like that. This movie gave me nightmares when I first saw it when I was 11. But it's always stuck with me. And it's just, just a fun, gory movie. It's just like one of those horror movies you're half laughing at the whole time. And like he's, so he gets the weird. He gets the freakishness. He gets the appeal of kind of the obscure. And he applies that to this, these gigantic battles. I just love it. So like... The robots in this movie, the sounds that are coming out of them, these earth-shattering, metallic clinking and whirling sounds that just make you feel like, 
you're always looking up, you're always like mouth agape, and you're kind of just, you're just in awe of the whole situation. And the alien, dino, whatever they are, they kind of have these blood-curdling screams, and both sides have unexpected powers that they like unleash randomly without telling you. Like the robots have these three-armed whirling saws, there's photon arm cannons, there's secret swords, the aliens have these random EMP powders that can kind of electroshock the robots to be incapacitated. They can spit acid. They can unexpectedly sprout wings. That's awesome. I've always wanted to do that. Power of flight. That'd be pretty cool. And like I said, I mean, this rock, movie rocks so hard. It's like a five year, a genius five-year-old who still has the exuberance of a toddler uh, just got $200 million to make a gigantic movie. And like I said, the music is pulse pounding. And it's kind of Rocky style. It's like, oh, mm, I want to get pumped up, inspirational, intense, kind of glory of battle. It's kind of, it's like the Lord of the Rings music modernized on speed. That's how I would call it. That's pretty good stuff. And it's a unique twist to a monster movie because rarely are giant robots or tech on the good side of the battle against the actual creatures. So that's a nice flip-flop to it. And it has this weird feel, too, like it's like Independence Day, the movie, you know, the Will Smith alien Fourth of July movie, where Bill Pullman has the best presidential speech ever. I listen to that like once a week. And he's like, we're going to survive. We're going to continue on. And this is our Independence Day. And he's like talking like really close into the microphone. And he's just feeling gruff about it. I just love that. So it's got that feel to it, you know, against this unstoppable kind of monsters who want this world for their own and they're you and it's like the humans have this ragtag last gas of humanity group of heroes and they all got different capabilities and you kind of need everyone's expertise to kind of defeat everyone like in independence day you need jeff goldblum science but you need will smith to fly the ship so you need and you also need Rand, drunk randy quaid to blow up the spaceship with his <laughs> with his f-18 which side note he was flying crop dusters for 30 years. There's no way he could fly an F-18 perfectly after like a day of training. That seems insane. But Independence Day is crazy. So I guess <laughs> I guess they weren't going for realism. Well, I mean, they blew up the White House. And, you know, I mean, this was aliens taking over the world. So, I mean, I don't think they needed to worry about plot holes so much. But back to the Pacific Rim. Pacific's hard to say because I say specific. I go Pacific for when I want to say specific. So saying Pacific, I'm feeling self-conscious about saying the word specific, even though I'm not. And I don't know, just feels, I, I get like a twinge in my back every time I say Pacific Rim. But, and it's also one of my favorite restaurants in Ann Arbor. It's Asian fusion place where they make the dopest uh, seared tuna where they like kind of design it in a geometric shape. And they have uh, the wasabi oil kind of uh, like, almost like paint around it. It's just beautiful, love it. Anyways, back to Pacific Rim, the movie, uh, the crew. So this movie oddly has all TV stars rather than movie stars. Maybe they blew their budget on all the effects, which is worth it because that's why you go to this movie. And I love all the TV actors who are in this. So double bonus anyways. So the main character is Rally Beckett. First of all, in an action movie, hero movie, you got to have that great name. You want to have someone like Ace McNasty or like John Matrix or John Wick or John McClane, a lot of Johns, Shane Falco. Uh, I'm trying to think of a great other name. Johnny Utah. So Rally Beckett, you know, it's a name you want to put some gruff onto. You want to put some funk onto it. Rally Beckett. Yeah, it's a great name. And it's played by Sons of Anarchy's uh, Charlie Hunnam. Well, I have mixed feelings about it. He's just a 
he's a fantastic looking dude and he tries really hard his movies but he's he's a little bit hammy a little bit corny but uh you know in, in the central hero role you're not supposed to be you know the best actor or the most entertaining you're supposed to kind of just drive the story along like luke skywalker wasn't the best part of uh, star wars it's kind of a thankless role batman never really you know the best acting job so i think he's in that kind of in that vein and then you got the hard ass uh general stacker pentecost great name too stacker pentecost whoever thought of that just a plus to you uh played by idris alba who is stringer bell from the wire he was the bad guy in the last fast and furious movie you know just this he plays luther on the uh british crime show uh luther on netflix just i mean fantastic actor super tall dude too. respect most uh most actors aren't tall, so like him being six five, just props to him. And he's just a, he's dying of nuclear radiation from being a Jaeger pilot from like the first of them. And he's just a hard ass, and he's trying to kind of save humanity and keep this all together. He's got his adopted dark daughter Mako, who ends up piloting with Raleigh later. And side note, they show flashbacks of her uh, when she's young like when she's like four or five years old and she's being terrorized in San Francisco during the first attacks. And whoever played her as a child actor, her name's Mana Ashida. It's the best child acting you've ever seen. This little girl who's like four or five years old has like a teddy bear and like a little blue dress. And she's running from a 200 foot tall kind of crab monster that seems to be only following her after killing her parents. And this girl crying and screaming and being terrified it's the best child acting i've ever seen i mean this i hope this girl got serious horror movie roles later in her or at this point in her life and eventually went on to kind of do a dakota fanning later in life acting career because she can act you just you sympathize and you see these tears streaming down her cheeks and you're just feeling you're i don't know just there's she makes you feel something so I mean the the adult actors actresses actresses is okay, but uh, the the young actress is just out of her mind good. And there's two professors who are kind of comic relief. I listened to another podcast about this movie, and they compare them to kind of the R two D two and three CPO, three CPO, yeah, three CPO of uh, Star Wars. So one is like a nerdy math guy, Gottlieb, who's played by God, what's his name, Burn Gorman, who he's one of the He's in. He's one of those guys that you've seen in uh, Dark Knight Rises. Uh, I'm trying to think what else in Game of Thrones. He's kind of this very British, very kind of stiff upper lip, small, smarmy kind of guy. You'd know him if you saw him. He's got a face for radio. He's just a weird looking guy. And then the other guy is uh, Dr. Newton, played by Charlie Day from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And if you don't know Charlie, Charlie is like, high energy, manic, kind of whiny, kind of high-pitched voice like this. And he's just always excited about everything. And he's a kaiju groupie. He thinks, like, these aliens are the coolest things in the world and that we could live with them at some point. And, you know, he wants to study and get to know them and, like, understand their brains. And he's got full uh, sleeve tattoos of them on both of his arms. And he's got this weird hyper energy. And he's just laughable as a scientist. And I just love – so he has a huge subplot, too. He finds out what the aliens want. And it's needlessly complex. Like he basically finds out the kaiju's are are made by true aliens who are in this dimensional rift at the bottom of the ocean, and they're sending these monsters up to kill all human humans so that they can terraform the planet for themselves and just come up and not have to battle any humans. So the kaiju's are kind of like their attack dogs. 
And finally, randomly, Ron Perlman is in this movie. And he's got really nice gold shoes. And he's wearing capes and bizarre gold glasses. And he's a kaiju body parts dealer named Hannibal Chow. And he's kind of funding the Jaeger program because the U, I mean, the world has given up on the Jaeger program and is now building these walls around their major cities, which aren't working very well either. And just a really fun character. You know, he's just kind of like, like a sleazy arms dealer, basically, but in dinosaur alien body parts. You know, he kind of, he, he goes and pillages them after they're killed. And it's just kind of a cool subplot. And he's randomly eaten by a baby kaiju, which is fun. And him and Dr. Newton have some great scenes. Him and Char- Ron Perlman and Charlie Day, I could watch a movie about them too. They just ham it up and they just have a fun time. They're so different body type and look, wi- look wise that I could just watch them, you know, eat cereal together. So, I mean, this movie is just bizarre. So the first, like the title card for Pacific Rim doesn't come up for 16 minutes until in, into the movie because Raleigh has a voiceover that explains the first kaiju attacks. He talks about the creation of Jaegers, kind of gives us cool world building for 15, 16 minutes and talks about during the first fights, you know, that he and his brother uh, went against a kaiju that ended up being a higher level than they expected. And his brother died and he kind of, you know, said, screw this about the Jaeger program. And he, the cool thing about it, uh, his voiceover, they explain the Jaeger functionality and I really like that it's like this two pilot system. It's called Drift Brain, where you know you sync with another person and you sync with their memories, and you're just completely in their mind, which seems crazy to me. I mean, think about like your deepest fantasies or like your weirdest dreams or your darkest secrets. That person's gonna know all that, and you're gonna be okay with it, and not be able to focus on piloting this giant monster. I don't know. It just seems seems unrealistic, but I love it. I love, I love movies that come up with rules. Like, no matter how crazy the rules are, if you give me, this is how the world is, this is how it's going to be, you know what I mean? Cool. That's, that's what I'm into. And so they talk about the, the first monster, Reckoning Golden Gate Bridge. And it's just, I mean, it's kind of on one of those handheld cameras, like Cloverfield style. And you see this giant kind of stegosaurus skull kind of vibe uh, monster just wrecking the Golden State Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Your jaw drops. You're just like, oh, my God. Like I said, Raleigh's uh, brother dies. So it adds to that broken hero story, quits the Jaeger program, and he ends up being a nobody, kind of working on the wall to stop the kaijus as Jaeger stopped being effective. And also really cool, the kaijus end up becoming more and more kind of advanced. So they have a level system. They have a tier system from like level one being the weakest to level five being the strongest. So as the movie progresses, we're going from like level three to level five. Love that. You know what I mean? Like just, I love level up. It makes it feel like a video game. Like you're feeling, you're playing like Mech Warrior or something cool like that. Because uh, you want to start, you know, mid-level and get to like the bosses at the end. And really fun that, you know, Rally's kind of a broken guy, you know, drinking, kind of got uh, like his hoodie and like bad clothes on. And Stacker wants to bring him back kind of with one of those, like, you're the best speeches. I need you for one last time. And it's like, anytime someone says, I need you for one last go, I mean, that's, that is catnip for me. It's catnip for most, most people, I think. The you're the best and the broken hero coming back to save the day. That's, that's the, just, that's just, that's, that's what entertainment's all about. Well, I got too excited. I said that about seven times, but that's how I feel about it. And then you have this long training montage scene with memory flashbacks. 
there's ancient stick fighting between the pilots and dojos for no reason. I, I guess it builds, you know, camaraderie between the people and they, you kind of get all the pilots and Jaegers and you get in, introduced to all of them. And, you know, they're from everywhere. You know, this is the last hope, the last breath, the last gasp of humanity. So it's from all over the world. So you get all these different pilots and all these different Jaegers and the names are just crazy of all the Jaegers. I just, I, I want to be in the uh, writer's room when they did these. So here's, here's the list of the Jaegers that are left. There's Cherno Alpha. That's the Russian uh, Jaeger, the oldest one and the heaviest one. And it's old school. It's got these big fists that can kind of congeal into large kind of just sledgehammers. And it's run by a husband and wife of like, that are just these giant, hyper blonde, thick Russian accent guy and girl that are just kind of you know big and bulky and chest puff out and then there's crimson typhoon yeah that's the name crimson typhoon run by chinese triplets and you know they have a good they have a good mind meld for drifting because they're triplets there's a whole vibe of like twins and triplets uh being better suited for this and it's like bright red and looks like iron man and it's got this three-pronged arm with chainsaws that kind of rip back and forth and they can do like backflips in the air and then there's an Australian father-son duo with this lightning quick uh, Jaeger, like the most advanced one. It's called Striker Eureka. Eureka. I mean, <laughs> Striker Eureka. Eureka. There you go. God, hard to say. Let me try it one more time. Striker Eureka. Eureka. Striker Eureka. There you go. Yeah. I have to say it like I'm, I'm thinking of an idea and it's weird. And then there's finally the old school nuclear powered American one called Gypsy Dancer. And my God, they just sound like top gun like call names like you know like merlin wolfman Mav- uh, uh, maverick iceman i'm trying to think what other ones uh viper you know what i mean like just like they basically just spun a wheel of adjectives and they found it and i've looked online and the names from the comics that were not used i just want to say them all i'm just gonna say them out loud brawler yukon mm, that's what i want to see that's what i'm like that's those are two guys from wyoming who were former cattle ranchers whose mother was killed by a kaiju i'm just making these up so whose mother was killed by a kaiju and you know they seek revenge so that they can go back to their ranch in peace coyote tango that's uh that's a brother sister from santa fe who own a who own a uh a leather shop horizon brave i don't know what that one would be but uh horizon brave just two new york um father son duo from new york who are both uh, New York City firefighters, and they're you know they're deciding to put their lives at risk. You got Romeo Blue. They're from Iceland, and it's two of the world's strongest men who are lifting buddies. You got Tactic Ronin, and I don't know what that one would be. Ah, I don't know. But anyway, they're just so much fun. Like I just like creating little backstories for all of them. I wonder what they actually were. I'll have to look it up. And the, like I said, the battle the battles are just magnificent. You know, you just everything takes a little while like the punches to wind up and to kind of like to land it takes a couple seconds it's not you know a quick jab from muhammad ali it's three four seconds to wind this robotic uh body up or just this 250 foot lizard it takes a minute and you can kind of see the residual water from the sea kind of coming up as they're moving and they're sloshing through just so much fun and Idris Alba uh, as a stacker, as the self-sacrificing kind of general who gets back into it at the end. Love that. And there's also like this whole subplot with nuclear bombs and interdimensional holes at the bottom of the ocean. And that's really the 
the way we can kill them at the end. You have to uh, throw a kaiju back in there with a nuclear bomb to kind of make everything explode. And like I said, it's a wild movie. It's got wild results. And by the time you come out of it, you feel like you're the size of an ant. You feel like you're, I don't know, you feel like you're three inches tall and you're just looking up at the world like, my God, everything's so gigantic. And that's fun. You know what I mean? You want to feel little sometimes. You want to feel like the world is big and, you know, scary and bizarre. And that's just, this is just a movie that was just fun for me. And I know it's not, it's not the best movie and I'm sure it's not, uh, the way it was written wouldn't win any Academy Awards for screenwriting, but it gets the job done. It's got this Rocky feel to it. It's got a little bit of Rudy kind of underdog. It's got some King Kong splash of Godzilla. Like I said, kind of the anime shows like you grew up watching. It's got some spliced in there. It's got some Top Gun, you know, like with the pilots being the best of the best and, you know, teamwork between the two of them. It's got, you know, the hero with a past kind of vibe, you know, the Western Clint Eastwood at the bar needing needed to come back for one last ride and redemption arcs. That's just a lot of stuff for a movie that should be basically whirling robots and snarling lizards. They did a they did a good job. And I was just pleased as punch. And now I sound like I'm from the 1950s. Like, gee golly, this movie was swell. <laughs> well, I'm going to go to the malt shop and uh, on, my, on my bicycle and uh, meet up with the gang. <laughs> so everyone, you should watch this movie. Watch it on a big screen. Watch it really loud. Like, turn that subwoofer up to 14 and, like, sit on it. And actually, that might be a little weird. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you can sit on it if you want. But I don't know. That might be kind of distracting. But uh, just grab some popcorn, grab a friend, you know, just shove the popcorn into your mouth and just watch robots and lizards attack each other. And they're like alien stories and brains drifting together and just a lived in explained world that just feels feels like they, they, they did a good job uh, creating a world that wasn't our own. That was, you know, humanity 15, 20 years from now. And the way things are going, who knows? Maybe aliens will, will sprout from... Uh, a tectonic plate shift in the middle of the ocean and we'll have to build giant killer robots that take two like-brained humans to drift together to to stop things so who knows i mean the way i mean the way things are going that sounds that sounds kind of nice actually because then i can root for some robots so go robots and go humanity